I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Now we're recording. Just get that going. We're live. Officially. This is so uncomfortable. Fix shit. Okay, that's somewhat better, I guess. Uh. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Bless me. Okay. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Michelle. And I'm Kirsten. And we're doing my true crime episode today. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> we sound so excited. We do. We do. We are. Alright, so let me fix my glasses and we can jump into it. Alright, let's get into it. Sorry. <laughs> I always have to like flip them up because the headphones like mm-hmm. push them into my face. Okay. Speaking of, oh, before we start. Yeah. So I told you that Allie fell, right? Yeah. Well, she, like, had her glasses on, and mm-hmm. it, like, broke the fall when she, like, hit her head on the ground. Oof. And so she has, like, a bump in the shape of her glasses. That sucks, yeah. dude. But she's fine. Good to know. Okay. We are doing the case today of Jerry Michael Williams. Never heard of him. Well, you're about to. Well, I'm about to. Yep. Jerry Michael Williams was born on October 16th of 1969. 1969? That's the year we went to the moon. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Or went to the moon, I guess. Went to the moon. Went to the moon. There's a conspiracy. Anyway. He went by Michael or Mike, so we're going to call him Mike from now on throughout the story. So his name's Jerry. Yeah, but but he went by Michael or Mike. By his middle name. Gotcha. He grew up in Bradfordville, Florida, which is north of Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. He was the son of a Greyhound bus driver and a daycare worker. I've ridden on a Greyhound bus. I know. I have not. It's it's a trip. It's a trip. Um, he was raised with his older brother, Nick, in a double-wide trailer. Instead of building a house, the parents save... His parents save their money, so both boys who helped by working nights at supermarkets could attend North Florida Christian High School. Nice. So they must have had to pay, like, a premium or something. Like, it must have been a private school. Yeah. There, Mike excelled, serving as student council president, playing football, and being active in the key club. Nice. At the age of 15, he began duck hunting. Also, at this age, he met his future wife, who he would marry in 1994, Denise Merrill. After North Florida Christian, he attended Florida State University. There, he majored in political science and urban planning. Before graduation, he was hired by Ketchum Appraisal Group as a property appraiser. Nice. Mike distinguished himself as, quote, the hardest working man I ever saw, end quote, according to the company's owner. Nice. He would often go home for dinner and return to work after his wife and later also his daughter went to bed. Wow. Also, sometimes he went into work after going duck hunting in the morning. So he was, like, working. Hard, working. Hard, hard working. And trying to balance his hobbies and his family. 
According to his mother, Mike was making $200,000 annually by the time of his disappearance. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's some money. Especially, like, this was in, like, the 90s. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that's probably even more today. Yeah. He and Denise had bought a home in a small, upscale subdivision on the east side of the city. In 1999, Mike's daughter was born. Hey. His co-worker said he was as devoted to her as he was to his work. Aw. The following year, Mike's father died. Aw. Yeah. That doesn't really have anything to do with anything. Just was in the notes. Just part of his life. Yeah, so. Midway through the year, which was about six months before Mike's disappearance, the couple bought a one million life insurance policy on Mike through a man named Brian Winchester. Hmm, that's a lot that's a lot of money for life insurance. Yeah. He was a childhood friend of Denise, but Brian had also become best friends with Mike. Nice. Two days before his disappearance, Mike and Denise told Mike's mom and his brother Nick that they wanted to have another child soon. Aww. In 2001, his mother said they were planning to go on a cruise in Hawaii that spring, and later in the year, he expected to travel to Jamaica for work as well. Man. Yeah, so he was doing a lot. Man, sounds like it. Alright, now we're going to talk about his disappearance. According to Denise, the morning of December 16, 2000, her husband woke up early, leaving the house well before dawn. He took his boat, and he left to go duck hunting at Lake Seminole. And if you don't know, this lake is a large reservoir. It's approximately 50 miles or 80 kilometers west-northwest of Tallahassee. Okay. It's located on the southwest corner of Georgia along its border with Florida. And don't worry, I added a picture. Okay, cool. Also, three other streams merge to form the apple. Gosh, I looked up how to freaking pronounce this word. Apalachicola River? Apalachicola? Apalachicola. Sounds right. I don't know. The couple had plans to celebrate their sixth wedding anniversary that night in Apalachicola. (laughs) That's a hard word to say. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I put a picture. Okay. So this is in Florida. Yeah. Down in the Florida part. Mm -hmm. Okay. You see it, like, right on the border where Georgia's at? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, at noon, Denise called her dad to tell him that Mike had not returned. Yikes. Brian Winchester's dad drove with Brian to the areas of the lake where they knew Mike frequently went dunk hunting. They found his 1994 Ford Bronco near a remote boat launch in Jackson County. That is on the Florida side, not the Georgia side. After investigators with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission were called, they started a search. It was soon called off due to a storm, though. Dang. Yeah. So they didn't get to do much searching before the storm came in. Storms suck. They ruin mm-hmm. everything. I like it when it storms, though. Not me. Fuck I a thunderstorm. Storm. No. It's so nice. No, it's not. When it's all windy and <laughs> outside. I love it. No, thank you. The initial search and investigation was handled by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Since it had been reported to them as a missing hunter, the agency handled the case that way, focusing on search and rescue. Quote, we didn't have a whole lot to go on, except there was an empty boat and the guy didn't show up. End quote. One of the agency's offers were called later after his retirement. Quote, there was nothing there that we had from the scene that suggested foul play at all. End quote. Deputies with the Jackson County Sheriff's Office were present, but primarily worked in a support capacity. Searchers focused on the 10 acres of the lake surrounding the cove where William's truck was parked. 
His boat was soon found, roughly 225 feet or 69 meters from the ramp by a helicopter pilot. He initially assumed it was a boat being used in the search to find Mike. Mm-hmm. But after retrieving the boat, investigators found Mike's shotgun still in its case. But no sign of Mike, though. What the heck? So his boat was out in the middle of the reservoir? Like, yeah. Um, right? Yep, it was 225 feet from the ramp. So, yeah. So it was out there. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't in it. No. And they don't just and his float shotgun away was still the, there. They don't the boats just don't just float away on their own. Yeah. Okay. Well, they do if you leave them untied. Right. But he had to somebody had to untie it. Yeah. That's so, what I'm saying. Yep. Okay, interesting. Interesting. The cove is locally believed to have been an orchard at one point. This was before the Chattahoochee, Flint Rivers, and Spring Creek were dammed to create the lake. It took its name Stumpfield from remaining stumps that protruded above and below the water level. This required careful handling of any powerboat in the area. Searchers assumed that Mike had hit a stump with his boat, and that is why we talked about it. Mm -hmm. He then fell out and then sunk into waters 8 to 12 feet or 2.4 to 3.7 meters deep. His waders filled, and then he drowned and he was unable to free himself. And waders are, like, the big, long boots that, like, come up Mm -hmm. to, like, your whole leg so you can wade in the water. Right, and not get wet. Yeah. So, had he drowned, his body would have been expected to eventually float to the surface. Right. And this would make it easier to discover. Mm -hmm. Investigators assured Mike's family that his body would surface like other drowning victims. And they said it would be within three to seven days. It could also be longer, though, um, due to the cold front that had moved in after the first night storm. Right. No body was ever found, however. Yikes. Ten days into the search, a camouflage pattern hunting hat was found, but it cannot be connected to Mike. Efforts continued until the search was called off in early February. It has been suggested that the search might have been continued had Denise indicated an interest in doing so. So she didn't. She acted like she didn't want to. Yeah. And this is the wife. Yeah. And they were like high school sweethearts. High school sweethearts. And have been together forever. Yep. And she doesn't want to search for her husband. Nope. Well, she did mm. until February. Shish bish. Yeah. Pretty sus if you ask Pretty shish bish. At that time, the case was constil... Constil? Constil? Wow. Still unconsidered. Constil. <laughs> Still considered open. Quote, nothing in investigative or search and rescue efforts has produced any definitive evidence of a boning accident. Boning accident? Boning? Oh, boning accident. Boating accident or a fatality as of this date. Read the final report issued in late February 2001. So they're treating it as a missing persons case. Yeah. Well, like he had a boating accident in his body and he drowned. Oh. That's what I said in the beginning. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, If Mike had drowned... After accidentally falling out of his boat, his body would be the only one of 80 known deaths in the lake never to have been found. The head of a private search firm offered a possible explanation. Quote, with the wildlife around, I would guess that the alligators have dismembered and have stored the remains in a location that we would not be able to find. He wrote in the report. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, I forgot to say end quote after find. It's okay. Early searchers had reported seeing many of them, and some of the officials were willing to accept the possibility. Quote, everyone knows the lake is full of alligators, said the FFWCC's David Arnett, 
quote, you look for other answers. Why hasn't the body appeared? And FFWCC is Florida Fish Wildlife Conservation Commission. Gotcha. It was suggested that Williams, which is Mike, body could have been caught in the lake's def- Gosh, I can't talk today either. Okay, man, it's okay. It was suggested that Mike's body could have been caught in the lake's dense underwater hydrilla beds, which it's kind of like seaweed, but oh, really, okay. it's different. Yeah. Um, maybe Mike's body had become entangled in the beds of dense hydrilla beneath the lake's surface. Then it was found by alligators later and after the turtles and catfish finished him off. But wouldn't there still be like little bits of remains that would still like float? They're not going to eat the whole body. Well, if alligators eat it and then turtles and catfish finish it off. Bones and all? Alligators eat bones. You're right. Right? I don't know. I've never been ate by an alligator. Maybe in my dreams. Do alligators eat bones? I know, like, sharks don't eat people. They, like, if you get bit by a shark, you can they can usually find your limb or whatever. Because the, the shark doesn't eat it. Because they don't like the taste of human blood. Or human flesh. An alligator can break bones with just one bite. Hikes. So basically it says they lack ability to chew. So they probably just like bite and then swallow whole. Gotcha. So I'm assuming they poop out the bones. Ew. That would hurt coming out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Denise, at this time, avoided media attention during the search for her husband. She accepted that her husband had died. She also arranged for a memorial service for Mike to be held the day after the search ended. Hmm. Yeah. In June, an angler in the Stumpfield area discovered a pair of waders floating in the lake. And an angler is like a fisherman. Mm-hmm. Divers called to search the area. They recovered from the lake bottom a lightweight hunting jacket and a flashlight. In one of the jacket pockets, there was a hunting license with Mike's name and signature. Mm. However, there were no teeth marks or any other damage on the waders. So it was just his clothes. Yeah. His boots. boots. It was just his boots and his jacket. That's it. Why would he take them off? Or they fell off if he fell in the water. Like, if your body's in the water and you're just floating along, it's pretty... Stuff just comes off. I mean, your skin does that slippage thing. Ew. I don't like that Like, literally, you could just... And your skin would come off. Ugh. Like, because it's been sitting too long. Yeah. Interesting. So, none of the recovered items showed signs of having been in the water for anything, like the period Mike had been missing. So, like, they didn't show any signs of wear and tear. Like they should have. Mm-hmm. There was no DNA evidence found to link the clothing to him. Nevertheless, a week later, a Leon County judge granted Denise Williams' petition to have Mike declared legally dead. What? This was based on those recovered items and an assumption that alligators and other water life had consumed the body. That'll make no sense to me. So he's declared dead. That doesn't make any sense. They said that there was no teeth marks or any damage. Mm-hmm. To his belongings that they found. Nope. They also said there was no DNA evidence to prove that it was his. But his license but was his in license the pocket. But his license was in the pocket, so yeah. it was obviously his. Right. But then she was like, go ahead and declare him dead. Yeah. The wife. 
Yeah. Duh fuck. <laughs> Literally. Duh fuck. I mean, in my mind, if someone was like, oh, hey, we found your husband's boots and jacket and they're like untouched, I'd be like, well, where's his body? Yeah, I'd be. How are you? No, gonna, I'd be straight up investigating that shit. I, I would, would not, not have done that. I no. would not declare somebody dead until I physically saw it with my eyes. Right. So the court decision allowed Denise to immediately proceed with claims on her husband's life insurance policies. She received $1.5 million for his life insurance policy. There it is. We don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. I'm not saying she did it. I'm saying that's why she wanted to declare him dead. Was so she could get the money. Okay. She was like, he's missing. Let's go ahead and declare him dead. And then I'm going to be... Ballin. <laughs> okay. Um, five years later, she married Brian Winchester. <gasps> the friend? The man. The best friend of Mike and the man who sold them the life insurance policy, if you oh. guys forgot. <laughs> Mike's best friend. Oh, this is my next line, by the way. Oh. Mike's best friend who had sold him some of the policies a few months before he disappeared. That is very sus. The couple went on to live in the same house where Denise and Mike had lived prior. Denise and Brian have mostly declined to discuss the case publicly at this time. The private search team that surmised the alligator theory had been hired near the end of the original search by Mike's mother, Cheryl. After it ended and after her son was declared legally dead, she was still not convinced that he had drowned in the lake. Unfortunately, her attempts to bring about a further investigation were unsuccessful. She would go on to say that she would have contested the proceedings if she would have known about them. Mm-hmm. Like the him being dead mm-hmm. proceedings. Yeah. Um, and she has said that she received threats to discourage her. That. Mm. 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 And it's his mom. Yep. Okay. Hmm. She's trying to reopen the investigation. Right. As any mother would. Mm-hmm. Like that's your kid. Right. For the next several years, she investigated on her own. At this time, she was also running a daycare still, so. She ran advertisements in local newspapers and put up billboards seeking information. All the subsequent investigations of the case have resulted from her efforts. She believed her son might still be alive, quote, I get criticized a lot for not admitting that Mike's dead. All I know is that I can't stop looking for him until I find him, end quote. Exactly. As any mother would say. Exactly. Okay, her efforts had severely strained her relationship with her former daughter-in-law, Denise. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to jump to 2004. In 2004, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement agreed to reopen the case after lobbying by Cheryl Williams and a friend. It does not normally have jurisdiction in missing persons cases. They also cannot get involved in investigations purely on the basis of a citizen's request, although it can offer assistance to local agencies. And that is exactly what they did. Many officers agreed with her that the circumstances surrounding Mike's apparent drowning four years before were unusual and were strongly at odds with that conclusion. The boat launch where his Bronco was found, which he would have most likely used to put his boat in the lake, was in an undeveloped patch of mud. Nearby were finished concrete launches that he was known to have used in the past. Hmm. The storm the night after he was reported missing had winds that should have blown the boat across the lake to the Georgia side. When the boat was recovered, its engine was off, yet the gas tank was full, 
and according to a representative of the manufacturer, if the engine had been running when Williams allegedly fell out of the boat, it should have stayed on, with the boat running in circles until its fuel was exhausted. Mm. So the boat was never turned on. Right. Quote, something sounds fishy on that deal, he said fishy. when the situation was described to him. <laughs> fishy? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Investigators also learned that Williams didn't usually hunt alone. Some things looked unusual right off the bat, said the FFWCC's Arnett. Then after a couple three days and after the weeks went on, those first things looked even more out of place. Doubts that Mike had drowned started to become much more serious when investigators learned that alligators do not generally feed during the winter months due to the colder temperatures. Mm-hmm. During the search period, daytime temperatures averaged around 55 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 13 degrees Celsius, with overnight lows below freezing. Some nights, it got as cold as 19 degrees Fahrenheit, or 7 degrees, negative 7 degrees Celsius. A fire was built in a 55-gallon drum on the shore for searchers to stay warm. The water was already, was already at 58 degrees Fahrenheit, 14 degrees Celsius, the day of Mike's disappearance. It dropped to 46 degrees Fahrenheit, 8, jeez, what happened to my voice? It dropped to 46 degrees Fahrenheit, 8 degrees Celsius, and the lake iced out to as much as 20 feet, 6.1 meters from the shore. In those conditions, quote, it is highly unlikely an alligator would have been active, end quote, said Mark, said Matt Aresco, a local herpetologist authorities had consulted. Quote, all they are doing is maintaining their body temperature. 58 degrees is too cold for an alligator to be interested in food at all, end quote. And if you don't know what a herpetologist is, it is someone who specializes in the study of reptiles and amphibians. I did not know that. I didn't either. Also, uh, random fun fact. Did you know the United States is the only country that uses Fahrenheit? We are also like the only country that uses like feet. Like literally all of the other countries use Celsius. Mm -hmm. And they all use meters. Mm Mm-hmm weird i've heard that meters is like easier too we're just being stubborn yeah even if an alligator had defied all known alligator behavior and eaten mike's body said another investigator ronnie austin it would likely have left something behind right which is what i said Mm -hmm. and it was likely to leave something behind because mike was five feet ten inches which is 1.78 meters and 170 pounds which is 77 kilograms Mm mm-hmm that's a lot of man to be missing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's like. That's like Austin going missing. That's like. In his know, body. I was trying to compare it. Like that's how tall Logan is. Oh. I mean Austin's 6'3". Mm-hmm. So. He's taller. Well. Logan's like 5'9". Probably. So. So Matt. The herpetologist considers any theory that attributes the missing body to alligators and any other aquatic animals a quote stretch it would be very very unusual to have the complete disappearance of a full-grown man end quote yeah see that's what i wondered like maybe some limbs missing but surely there'd be something left the waiters discovered almost six months after mike's disappearance further debunked the alligator theory while the diver who retrieved them reported that they were in an area of disturbed weeds with an with alligator poop nearby he said it was anyone's guess as to whether they had been later planted in that spot Quote, these waiters, we don't know where they came from, end quote, Austin, the investigator said. 
Investigators' suspicions were further raised by the waiter's condition. They were undamaged, without any tooth marks. They also lacked any of the residues that would be expected on an object submerged in the lake for that long. And the water in the waders were filtered after they were recovered, and no human remains were found in the waders. So somebody threw his boots in the water. We don't know. Months after that, he we don't know was found, or we don't months know. after he went missing. We don't is know. what it's insinuating. We don't know. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The hunting jacket and flashlight were also in much better condition than expected. The flashlight even worked when turned on. And it was found in the water. Yep. Hmm. Apart from the condition of the waders was the question of why Mike would have been wearing them when he supposedly fell out of the boat. And this is me saying this. They are called waders for a reason. Use them to wade in the water while fishing, hunting, etc. You wouldn't wear them in your boat. On the boat, yeah. You would put them on Mm -hmm. if you were going out of your boat to get in the water. Oh, and I also said, and if you don't know what wading means, just means standing in the water. Yeah, just like walking through the water. Mm Mm-hmm. So, according to a friend who hunted with him frequently, including one week before his disappearance, Mike took safety very seriously, keeping his guns at work away from his daughter, among other precautions. On the water, he would never put his waders on until he had reached the point where he planned to get out and start hunting, following a common safety procedure in order to avoid the type of accident from which he was later to believe to have died. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. That's what I just said. Quote, as much as he preached that to me... Why would he be wearing his waders while driving the boat? End quote. The friend said. Um, quote, my gut feeling is Mike did not die in Lake Seminole. End quote. Investigator Austin said in 2006. Hmm. He added that the belief was shared by all the investigators at this point. Quote, I would say this is a suspicious missing person. End quote. That, I think it is. A very suspicious missing person. However, the new investigation was made extremely difficult by the shortcomings of the original search due to criminal activity not being considered at this time. Quote, they did not protect the crime scene at all. Crime scene? Crime scene? They did not protect... They... <laughs> they did not protect the crime scene at all. They botched it. Recalled a Williams... Recalled a Williams... Why did I write that? Recalled Mike's family friend with law enforcement experience who had attended the drum fire during the search. They botched it. Yep. I said that already. I know. Oh. I was just saying they botched oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the time investigators began... <laughs> Man, you just like hit a wall. <gasps> I was doing so good. It's okay. I hit that wall. You'll get past it. Should I just put my mic in front of my face like this? The like whole time? this. And then he was found. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't How know. do you know? I don't. No, I I'm really, just kidding. I really don't. <laughs> By the time investigators began to realize that they should have asked some more questions, the opportunity was gone. Mike's Bronco and the boat had been returned to his family and friends. The footsteps of many volunteers and searchers all over the lake shore had made it impossible to collect any evidence from that area, and the items later recovered from the lake had not been retained. Without any of that evidence or My- Mike's body, it was impossible for police to make a case. Quote, we're at a brick wall, pounding our heads against it, end quote, said Investigator Austin. Derek Wester, an investigator with the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, agreed that they were trying to make up for not having considered the possibility that things might not have been what they seemed in 2000. Yeah, you don't say. 
His office kept the case open and had some persons of interest, although he did not identify them. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement closed its case, even though they thought the alligator theory was completely bogus. Without any leads or evidence that could allow it to further investigate, they had nothing they could do. By 2006, its cold case investigators were no longer returning Cheryl's calls. She continued to do what she could to publicize the case, taking out ads in the Tallahassee Democrat. A possible new lead emerged in October 2007 when Mike's older brother found a photograph in the serial number of a 22 caliber Ruger pistol that had once belonged to their father. Michael had inherited it after his father's death. After Michael was declared legally dead, it was the one... It was the only one of his firearms that Denise had not returned to her former in-laws. Hmm. 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 Did she shoot him? Jackson County Sheriff's Investigator Wester asked the Federal Bureau of... (laughs) (laughs) Federal Bureau. Asked the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms to look for it. Agents visited Denise and Brian Winchester, now married, in their house to interview them. Oh, also this is the same house that her and Mike lived in. Right. Several days later, their attorney delivered the gun to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. It was sent to a state forensics laboratory for DNA testing. The results have not been reported. On the anniversary of Mike's disappearance that year, the Winchesters, Denise and Brian, made one of their few public statements on the case. Quote, For seven years, we have prayed and hoped to find out with certainty what happened to Mike. Nobody wants Mike found more than we do, Brian said in an email to the Democrat. Yeah, right. Rumors were circulating around Tallahassee that a grand jury had been hearing evidence and would soon hand down indictments. In 2008, the Florida Department of Financial Services Division of Insurance Fraud, in conjunction with Florida Department of Law Enforcement, began investigating the case from that angle. Normally, under Florida law, the statute of limitations on that crime is five, five years. Five, five years. years. Five years, meaning it would have expired in 2005. But it can be extended by three years under certain circumstances. Quote, the circumstances surrounding this case raise many serious and troubling questions. End quote. Said DIF's lead attorney, Mark Schleen. And that guy is from the insurance place. Okay. Department of Insurance Fraud. I'm pretty sure. Perry, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission officer who had been heavily involved in the original search, added at the time that if he or any other person investigating had known that there was a large life insurance policy on Mike and who the beneficiary was, that search might have been handled differently. It was noted that Denise's court petition to have her husband declared legally dead mentioned only the Kansas City Life Insurance Company policies that Brian had sold him. However, Brian Jones, an expert in insurance law at Florida State University, told the Democrat that any fraud case would have to rest on more than just those facts already known to to have aroused... What? Let me start that over again. However, Brian Jones, an expert in law... My face itches. However, Brian Jones, an expert in insurance law at Florida State University, told the Democrat that any fraud case would have to rest on more than just those facts already known to have aroused investigative interest. Quote, the mere fact that they can't locate the body isn't necessarily something the insurance industry would care about, end quote, he said. 
But if Mike was to be proven dead and the beneficiary were to have been shown to have been involved, or if he was still alive, then an insurance company would strongly consider pursuing the case. Is it foreshadowing? I'm not telling you. I'm telling you. (laughs) By the eighth anniversary of William's disappearance, however, the DIF had closed the case. Quote, our job was extremely difficult and we were simply unable to develop enough evidence to proceed with the investigation, Schleen said. He added that if new information were received, the investigative could be reopened. We have suspicions, but what we need is evidence. Another possible lead that year proved unhelpful as well. Carrie Cox, a self-described psychic and certified forensic psychological profiler from Kentucky reviewing the case, had identified a possible location of William's body. She gave investigators the coordinates of a location in Wakala County near another boat launch. Cadaver dogs were brought to the area and sniffed it out, but found nothing. Cox nevertheless concluded that, quote, we are moving in the right direction. I think something is there, end quote. FDLE officials said in 2011 that Cox had not found anything requiring further investigation. Despite the failure of a third investigation to discern the fate of her son, Cheryl kept trying. Her efforts led to the Investigation Discovery Cable Channel doing a segment on Mike's disappearance and the the, the later investigations in late 2011. Quote, we don't know what the smoking gun is, but we hoped someone will find it, end quote, she said. Hmm. By then, she had become disappointed with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. She believed they were uninterested in solving Mike's case, and she also came to believe that the investigation was obstructed by the involvement of Agent Mike Phillips. Mike was a friend of both her son and his then-wife, Denise. Phillips had told her early on in the search that Michael had probably been eaten by alligators, so she had assumed he had been involved in the investigation at that point. But he later said he never was and was merely trying to comfort her. FDLE later said his involvement was limited to asking his superiors if the agency could help with the search. It did not see a need to formally investigate his role. Hmm... Starting on New Year's Day in 2012, Cheryl began writing one letter a day to Governor Rick Scott, asking him to either have another agency besides Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigate or appoint a special prosecutor to do so. After she had written over 200 letters without even an acknowledgement whether they had been received or not, she began inquiring personally as to why. It turned out that the governor's office had forwarded them unopened to FDLE's headquarters where they were placed in the case file. She was outraged. Quote, they could not have hurt me more if they had punched me in the face. Wow. So he didn't even read them. That's rude. Yeah. Rude. In 2012, Denise and Brian Winchester separated, reportedly due to his sex sex addiction. Nice. She filed for divorce in 2015. Brian opposed it initially and had been ordered to comply. As part of that order, he was to provide an appraisal of the couple's house due early in August 2016. Denise told Leon County, well, my voice. Denise told Leon County Sheriff's Office investigators that on August 5th, she left her home to drive to her job at Florida State University. This was also the day when the appraisal had to be filed with the court. While she was talking on her phone to her sister, she saw someone climb over the back seat of her car. It turned out to be Brian. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'm looking at you like that. 
He took her phone away and began yelling directions at her. She did not comply until he showed her a gun. She said later that he claimed this was necessary since she was not taking his calls and was blocking his text messages. What were you going to say? This is the the husband that she's trying to divorce, right? Yeah. And he's hiding in her car. Yep. And pointing a gun at her. Yep. Telling her where to go. Yep. I think I know who killed him. (laughs) Instead of going where he wanted her to, she pulled into a CVS drugstore parking lot close to the door. Brian told her that he was planning to kill himself with the gun. That's, that is, that is what all manipulative people do when they know they're about to lose. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, then I'm just going to off myself. Yeah. If you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm just going to off myself. Right. He did not want the divorce and felt he had nothing to live for if it went through. He assured her he did not want to kill her. She was able to calm him down and took him back to where he had parked his own truck at a nearby park. Before he went to it, he took a tan sheet, a different colored plastic sheet, a spray bottle of bleach, and a tool from Denise's car. He was going to kill her. He was going to kill her. Those yeah. are all things. He was, And he had a gun. Mm-hmm. He was going to kill her. After she left, Brian pulled up to her and apologized for his actions. Despite her promise to him not to tell police about the incident, she drove straight to them afterwards. Uh, yeah. According to a friend of Brian's later interviewed by police, he had been increasingly concerned that as a result of the divorce, Denise would tell the police what she knew about, quote, this guy who died 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, end quote. Oh, shoot. She had not answered his many phone calls, so he came up with this plan to wait in her car and hold her at gunpoint. Brian was arrested and charged with kidnapping, domestic assault, and armed burglary, with two of the charges being felonies. Denise requested protection orders, saying she feared for her life and her daughter's. Dang. And she was married to this guy. Yeah. And all because she wanted a divorce. Yep. And so he... After a hearing the next week at which she said she could neither eat nor sleep since the incident, the court decided to hold Brian without bond. Cheryl expressed hope that this development could lead to the resolution of her son's disappearance. Mm -hmm. Quote, Brian's not going to let Denise run around alone with all that money. I'm praying he doesn't commit suicide. I'm praying he'll tell us what actually happened, she told the New York Daily News. Mm Mm-hmm. She added that she is alone among her family and holding out hope that her son is still alive. In December 2017, Brian was sentenced to 20 years in prison for kidnapping, with credit for 502 days time served to be followed by 15 years probation. His attorney told the court that he was suicidal that day due to not only the divorce, but also his mother's recent terminal cancer diagnosis. BS. I mean, not her terminal cancer diagnosis, but his reasoning. And just he's shitty for using that as a reason. Yeah, that's a shitty person because mm-hmm. you're gonna hold you're gonna hold somebody at gunpoint and then be like, "Oh, I was just depressed because my mom is sick." Right. So I'm gonna hold my soon-to-be ex-wife at gunpoint. I mean, I understand like mental issues and stuff. I get it, but like your mental issues aren't a reason to treat other people like shit. Yeah, no. Well, on top of that decision by his. Oh, on top of. 
the terminal cancer diagnosis of his mother, um, his teenage son decided to move in with his mom from his first marriage, like Brian's first marriage. Mm -hmm. Probably because he probably wasn't that great of a dad. Probably not. It don't sound like it. Well, if he was living with Brian, that means he was also living with um, Denise. Mm -hmm. So he decided to go live with his mom instead of Mm -hmm. Denise. Prosecutors countered that Winchester's actions that day indicated he planned a murder-suicide that was only averted by Denise's quick thinking. They asked the court for the 45-year maximum. Brian is now imprisoned in the Wakula Correctional Institution. No mention was made of the Mike of Mike's case at Brian Winchester's sentencing. Okay. State Attorney Jack Campbell told the media that he hoped the case against Brian would help authorities solve Mike's disappearance. Later, it was reported that he had reached an agreement with prosecutors before the sentencing that they would neither seek a life sentence on the kidnapping charge, charge nor introduce certain evidence at the hearing. With, oh, sorry, what that agreement required of Winchester, if anything, beyond his guilty plea, has not been disclosed. The next day, at a news conference, Mark Perez, the FDLE special agent in charge, announced to a group of reporters that William's body has been found. Oh, shit. It had also been determined that he was a victim of homicide. I fucking knew it. They declined to release any details of how he had been killed or whom the suspect might be or the person of interest. They also didn't reveal where the body was found, saying they were withholding that information since only the perpetrators would be expected to know it. Smart. Smart. County Public Works employees brought in backhoes for what they were told was a training exercise. After five 16-hour days of digging nine-foot-deep or 2.7-meter holes in the mud at the corner of the lake, all while holding back the lake waters by dams and pumps amid the constant presence of eels and water moccasins, the FDLE was ready to hire a private contractor to finish the job. So this was them looking for the body? Yeah. Gotcha. On October 18th, the team of search dogs and officers finally found Mike's remains in the piles of dirt stacked on plywood sheets. They had found Mike's remains at the end of the dead-end Gardner Road in northern Leon County, five miles or eight kilometers from where he grew up. Wait, 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 wait. So this was in, like, 2012? 2015? Uh, yeah. When they found the body? It was, like, 2015 when they found the body. 15 years later. Mm Mm-hmm. They found the body. That's nuts. Um, an FDLE source told the Tallahassee Democrat that 98% of his bones were recovered, all very well preserved, as was some of the clothing he had been wearing, such as winter gloves and booties. Two DNA tests matched the remains to his mother's sample. So it was him. Yep. On May 8, 2018, Denise Williams was arrested at Florida State as she left work to celebrate her daughter's 19th birthday. Minutes after a grand jury had indicted her on the charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact. How did they know it was her, though? Just wait. Okay. Listen. I'm listening. Prosecutors continued to keep details of the crime to themselves, saying they would share them in court when the time came. They did say that they would seek to have her denied bail. Denise's attorney declined to comment at the time, saying that he had not had time to review the case. Denise's estranged husband, Brian, was serving his sentence at Wakala Correctional Institution near Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. His attorney said his client would take the stand at trial if legally compelled to do so. However, the attorney did not think Winchester would be charged in the case as well. 
Two FDLE officers went to Cheryl's house immediately following the indictment to inform her. She did not speak to the media about how she reacted to the news. The three-page indictment was released two days later. It revealed that prosecutors believed Denise allegedly began conspiring with Brian in March 2000, nine months before her husband disappeared. Brian is alleged to have killed Michael with a gun. The accessory charge suggested that sometime between August 2014 and the day Brian was sentenced, Denise had allegedly helped Brian avoid prosecution or arrest for the crime. Ethan Way, Denise's lawyer, said his client was innocent of all charges. Quote, she had absolutely nothing to do with Mike Williams' disappearance and had absolutely nothing to do with any of the crimes that Brian Winchester committed. End quote. Mm-hmm. He found it convenient that the indictment came after Brian had been imprisoned for several months. On Denise's behalf, her lawyer entered a plea of not guilty. In late June 2018, Denise was ordered held without bond. Was ordered to be held without bond, with trial set for September 24th. Audio of Brian's interview with FDLE was played in court. In it, Brian confessed to pulling the trigger, but claims the killing was Denise's idea. Hmm. Her defense argued that the tape should not have been admitted as evidence since Brian was not charged with anything despite his admission. The prosecution said it simply asked him to tell the truth about what happened. She went on trial in December. The state's star witness was Brian. He testified that he and Denise had never really ended their relationship from high school. Even though they were married to other people. They had a relationship in high school? Yep. Her and Brian. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Kathy Thomas, Brian's first wife, told the jury that she had suspected the two of having an affair in the late 1990s when they frequently double-dated with Mike and Denise. Oh, sheet. Brian said in his confession, a tape of which was played for the jury, that the affair had started in 1997 and just, quote, snowballed. Oh, my. After rekindling the relationship, the two began to consider killing Mike so they could marry. That's not what you do. If you... Yeah, if you and Austin started having an affair on me and started fucking conspiring to kill me... Like, what the fuck? First of all, that's fucking disrespectful. (laughs) Or that would be like would me and Logan conspiring to kill you. Man, like that's what the weird. fuck? That is so weird. <laughs> but like that's I couldn't not even imagine you... doing that to my best friend. That's not how you take care of the situation, though. Well, no, You're not but like, I'm just Let's saying, just like, kill this person and get them out of the way. You well, think they about wanted it? the money too. That's true. But like, well, just so you know, I do have a life insurance policy, but you wouldn't be oh, getting any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and Austin doesn't even get any of it. Who's it going to? My Your mom. mom. Oh. I don't have a life insurance policy, but it'd go to my kids. For sure. Yeah, I don't have children to get my life insurance policy to. I'm going to give it to somebody who's not going to kill me. Right. The least likely person would be my I don't think Austin is going to kill me, but (laughs) once we're married, then I'll put him on the life insurance policy. Yeah. You know? I was on Logan's when he was at the fire department. Oh. I was on his life insurance policy. Well, you guys are married. Yeah, that's true. He had to change it. Because it was um, his mom and dad. But then when we got married, he changed it. Oh. That way, like, if anything happened to him in a fire, yeah, I would get all of his life insurance. I'd right. be, I was like, what? I'd joke around and be like, well, I'm going on fire tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, um, after rekindling their relationship, the two began to consider killing Mike so they could marry. Already said that. Yep. Denise's family frowned on divorce for religious reasons. Girl. But she's divorcing him. Right. 
Denise suggested staging a boating accident on the Gulf of Mexico where they could throw both Mike and Kathy overboard. The husband and the wife? Yeah, throwing and his Brian's wife, wife and, and her Mike. husband overboard. But Brian didn't want to kill his children's mother. But she was okay with killing her husband. Yeah. Her daughter's father. Right. After rejecting plans for a murder at Mike's office, meant to look like a robbery, Brian thought of an idea of an apparent hunting accident. Mm-hmm. On the day Mike disappeared, Brian said he enticed him to go to Lake Seminole. Once on the water, he had gotten Mike to put the waders on, then pushed him out of the boat. He thought he wouldn't be able to resurface and would drown. But Mike managed to get to a tree stump. Mm-hmm. And that's when Brian fired a single shotgun blast to Mike's face. Dang. Yeah. His face? Yep. Oh shit. The murder cannot be passed off as a hunting accident now. So Brian buried the body where it was later found. He then cleaned out his truck and went to a family Christmas party. Like it never even happened. Right. There he learned that a search was underway for Mike. Brian and Denise took it slow after Mike's accident. Accident. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't want any suspicions surrounding the insurance money. Brian said the kidnapping was his reaction to thinking now that he and Denise were divorcing she would tell what happened to Mike. So he didn't want to get divorced because he thought she would tell what happened. Him. Yep. Prosecutors played a taped phone conversation in which Kathy, Brian's first wife, had told Denise she knew the truth about the crime. Each time she brought it up, Denise attempted to change the subject. But at one point, Denise asked, what do you know? So she, so Kathy was just saying that to try and get her to say something. Yeah. To try and get her to co- confess. Yeah. And she said, what do you know? Yeah, she fucking blew up herself. Man. Red flag. <laughs> Assistant State Attorney John Fuchs. <laughs> Fuchs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely not Fuchs. It's Fuchs. John Fuchs said the evasiveness and Denise's dispassionate response when Brian told her how he had killed Mike demonstrated how cold-bloodedly she could be. And that she helped plan the crime that happened on her behalf. Denise's attorney argued in response that there was no physical evidence linking Denise to the crime and tried to put the blame on, all on Brian. He said that Brian was not on trial despite having, com- despite having admitted to committing the crime himself. After four days of testimony, the jury took eight hours to convict Denise of all charges. Denise's attorney said that his a client, his a client. His a client. His, <laughs> his a client. client. <laughs> I, I was trying to read client and appeal at the same time. I was getting ahead of myself. Denise's attorney said that his client would appeal the conviction. In February 2019, Denise was sentenced to life in prison. She did not speak or offer any argument on her behalf because she knows she fucking guilty. She did. Well, she didn't do it, but she was behind it. Yeah. The only person to address the court besides the lawyers was Cheryl who said that justice had finally been served and that Denise had not only taken her son, but also her granddaughter from her. Mm-hmm. Five months later, Mike and Denise's daughter, Ansley, was awarded all assets of her late father's estate and insurance monies due to Denise. Denise signed them over to avoid prosecution on three counts of insurance fraud. As part of the deal, Ansley may not use any of the money on her mother's legal fees. If she did, she would owe the state... Um, $150,000 in penalties. So she can't use the money to, like, get her... Get Legal her... fees paid. Yeah. Like, to her lawyers. Mm-hmm. Good. 
Denise is now imprisoned at the Florida's Women's Reception Center. In January 2020, Denise Williams appealed her conviction and life sentence. Her attorney argued before the Florida First District Court of Appeals that there was no evidence she was involved in the commission of the murder. In November 2020, the murder conviction was overturned, but the conspiracy to commit murder conviction was upheld, including the 30-year sentence that accompanied it. So she's in prison. Yep, and that's it. And if you scroll down, there's a picture. That's Denise. Yep. Uh. That's Denise. That's her and Mike. That's Brian. Uh. Brian's on the right, but her and Mike are in the middle. Mike looks so much better than Brian did. (laughs) What did she see in him? Mike was also, like, 20 years younger in their wedding photo. That is, that is <laughs> true. <laughs> that is true. But, yeah, she looks like a stone-cold bitch. Yeah, she does. Not in the wedding photo, though. No. Like, in the wedding photo, she looks pretty happy. I don't know why she thought of this fucking plan, dude. He looks like a serial killer type Brian, murder person. Yeah. It's, he just looks dead in the eyes, and so does she. Well, because they know they're fucked. Oh, yeah. They are fucked. Fucked in the head. Man. Well. That was a good one. That's it. Had had some turns. Yeah, for sure. some turns. I wanted to do a solved one this week because I've been doing some unsolved, so. Unsolved ones stress me the fuck out. Same. I liked it. Me too. It was good. It was good. Yep. All right, guys. Also, um. We forgot to mention this on Wednesdays. 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 I can't talk today. Wednesdays. Wednesdays episodes, but we did start a Patreon. Yes, I was gonna say that. Ooh. I was gonna say that I, when we started this episode, I put a note in my brain that was like, make sure you mention the Patreon at the end of the episode. Yeah, we did start a Patreon, True Crimes and Story Times so uh-huh. on Patreon. It's gonna be in the link tree that yeah. I will put, or one of us will put in the show notes. In the show notes, and it should be at the top of the link tree, right there at the top should say patreon yep so if you want to support us we do have things to give you for supporting us it's not just supporting us for nothing Mm -hmm. so we will be giving things you can check out the different tiers and all that things like if you want to listen to our unedited versions of our podcast or if you want to watch videos of us we also will be putting out a bonus episode once a month for one of the tiers and we'll be doing a mukbang for one of the tiers. Yes. If you want to get on a exciting. more personal level with us. Less and professional type. watch us eat. Mm-hmm. Chit-chat. Um, get to yeah. know us a little better. Yeah. You are more than welcome to join that tier of the Patreon. Yes. But we appreciate you listening. And um, we got over a thousand downloads now. Heck yeah. Well, I so, think we're almost close to 2,000 downloads now. Yeah, we now. are. And we've gotten a lot of followers. So. Yeah. We really appreciate all you guys listening and just Absolutely. Um, supporting us. And uh, Thank you for your continued support. Yeah, and putting I, up with our shit, I guess. <laughs> it'll only get better from here, guys. Yeah. Um, If you're watching our video, it is out of focus. Okay, now it's back <laughs> in. <laughs> we are going to get more decorations for this wall right here. We're going to try to find some more stuff to put up. If you have any suggestions, yeah, let us know. We're going to get like some mic stands so we can... Um, so you can see our face. Yeah, so we're not like this the whole time, um, <laughs> and so we don't have to hold it. So we're gonna get some mic stands. Hopefully next week, the video will be even better. Yeah, this we're is just try our to trial. Fi- yeah, we're gonna try to fix like the lighting situation, the camera angles, all that jazz. So trial and error. That's just yeah. I think we should get like a couple more lights or something maybe mm-hmm. to brighten it up a little bit more. It's also, not- the sun has gone down. 
And yeah. so we're losing light from our windows. Yeah, it was a windows. lot brighter earlier. Yeah. But, um, yeah, guys, it's only going up from here. Just stick with us and it'll get better. Yeah. Anyways, anything else to add? Nope, that's it. All right. Just go check out the Patreon. Uh, also, you can check out all of our social medias, Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook. TikTok. Um, TCST podcast for Twitter. TCST underscore podcast. Okay. It'll be, it'll all be in the link tree. That'll be in the yep. show notes. Just check out our socials. We'll be posting pictures of the different cases and everything. Mm-hmm. Kirsten will be posting pictures of story times if yep. she has any. Links to, oh yeah, oh yeah. Link. Lots of picture. Right. Links to the stories as well. We all post right. it on social media, so. All right, guys. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us. We really appreciate it. And. and <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> see you. Oh, do you want to say when we're going to post our bonus episodes and mukbang episodes or. Um. It's I don't the have my second week me. of each month for the bonus episodes and the last week of each month for the mukbangs. Yes. So if you do and get on And it'll be Patreon, posted on Sundays. Yeah. So we'll have a post Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday to try to balance it out throughout the week. Yes. So if you're subscribed to the Patreon, you'll get two extra episodes. Yep. That will be posted on Sunday on the and Patreon. Maybe we can figure out something to do on the mukbang while we're eating or something. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll try to figure something out. Yeah. Something entertaining, so... Maybe we'll play, like, a card game or something. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Anyways, guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're on Patreon. And thanks for listening if you're on any other platform. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. See ya.